0: Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. You uh, may have seen or heard that this weekend, uh, President Trump said that he is going to release the final classified files on JFK. The JFK assassination. Can you believe that? It's kind of weird, though how he worded it. Um, let's see, what did he say? He said, uh, subject to the receipt of further information, I'll be allowing, as president, the long-blocked and classified JFK files to be opened. So he starts by saying, subject to the receipt of further information. I wonder exactly what that means. So it's a little caveat there. It means, hmm, this might not actually happen. But, um I, of course, am uh, fascinated by the JFK assassination. Um, obviously, as you know, I was friends with Jim Mars, and Jim literally wrote the book uh, Crossfire, the plot that killed Kennedy, that was turned into the movie uh, JFK by Oliver Stone. At least it was, um, I think, one, maybe one of two books that they they cited. But uh, Jim's was the main one. And also, of course, I have family in Texas, and I've spent a good deal of time there. I've been to Dealey Plaza a couple times. I've been to the museum there uh, and the book depository where they say Oswald was uh, was stationed. And um, I, you know, I've gone through periods of my life where I've just spent a month just doing nothing but digging into layer after layer after layer of the JFK assassination. And I won't get into all that right now. But what I will tell you is that uh, I do not believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I do believe there was a conspiracy. Um, Obviously, Jim points out a lot of good reasons to believe that. And and so did uh, a a man who is uh, no longer alive, uh, Colonel uh, Prouty who wrote a book and did a lot of speaking engagements about what he saw happen within the Pentagon and the military during that time period. So uh, anyway, we'll keep an eye on that, and you know, as more information comes out, then I'll be happy to, uh, to, to give you more information on what I believe and what I've seen in my own research. But anyway, here we are, Uh, pushing another day close to Halloween, so I figured, well, I'll tell you a spooky story about another experience that I have had, about the first time that I had a really intense interaction with some kind of an entity. Now, mind you, um, before this, earlier on in my life, I did see other evidence that there were interactive spirits on the other side. For example, when I was in college, I had a professor. He was a, he was the chair of the philosophy department. Um, we had a great relationship even outside the class, lots of cool discussions. We'd loaned books back and forth. Well, during the middle of the year, he killed himself. He shot himself in the head. And so I ended up going over to his house with a colleague at the request of his widow to attempt to communicate with him because she said that she believed that he was trying to come through and say something. And so we sat right there and watched uh, EMF meters react to questions as if the EMF meter was being used as a communication tool. So, you know, I saw things like that, but it's one thing to watch something on a meter and to have a more sort of raw, organic experience, which is what happened to me about 10 years ago, I guess. Um, Of course, I do a lot of television, and um, I was doing especially a lot of television about 10 years ago when I think paranormal stuff was really even more prominent on TV than it is is now, at least in the nonfiction world. I think you have a lot more fictional paranormal stuff on TV now. But uh, anyway, I received a call from a uh, producer director I knew who said he wanted me to participate in a shoot he was doing for a television channel. I believe it was the Fine Living Network, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he said that basically he had access to this extremely haunted house in Louisiana and wanted me to go down there and by myself, pretty much, just meet the crew and uh, do an investigation. Now, I'll tell you what's interesting to start with about this invitation. The name of the place that he wanted me to go investigate was well known to me. It's called Myrtle's Plantation. A lot of people consider it to be possibly the most haunted place in America. But I knew it even better because some years before, I was contacted by the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and, of course, they provide um, sort of life dream activities for people, you know, especially children who are uh, terminally ill. So they contacted me and said that there was a girl who was, I think, maybe 13 or 14, wasn't much older than that, who had a terminal illness and that um, her last wish was to go spend a night at Myrtle's plantation because she was really into ghosts. And so they asked me if I would be the one to sort of break the news to her because, you know, they like to make it a big surprise when they reveal this, that your wish is going to come true. And so the Make-A-Wish Foundation asked me if I would – Go to the Grove Park Inn and give this girl a tour, and they would tell her, "Well, look, we, you know, we here, here's the best we could do for you, since she lived in, in near Asheville. So, you know, we we were able to arrange for you to go have a night at the Haunted Grove Park Inn and go on a tour, et cetera. And then at the end, I would be the one to break this to this girl that her her literally her dying wish has come true. I mean, that's a pretty impressive thing. You never forget that, and so. That's what we did. Um, I met with them all over there, and I took her all over the Grove Park Inn that night and had some interesting conversations with her. And uh matter of fact, I'll share this with you. She, at one point, um, she was just talking to me one-on-one, and here I am, a paranormal investigator, and she said, what happens to you when you die? Because she knew this is about to happen to her. She says, what happens when you die? And I said, well, I don't know for sure. But I will tell you this. I have a very good friend who died. He was clinically dead. And miraculously, they brought him back to life. And he told me that what he saw On the other side was so beautiful so wonderful that he didn't want to come back and I have heard that from a lot of other people and I believe him so that is what I think it's like on the other side and she seemed uh, she seemed content with that so it was a again a very memorable evening. I told her that uh you know your your wishes come true. She goes off to Myrtle's Plantation, she has some kind of great experience there and then right after work she died. So I was obviously, you know, I'd never been to Myrtle's Plantation, but this is the kind of reputation that this place had for me beforehand. So I uh I get this call. Josh, we want you to come to Myrtle's Plantation and do this investigation. I said, Okay. I I have a feeling I, I've had a, a date with this place for a long time. And why wouldn't I? Now, if you don't know much about <clears throat> Louisiana, Myrtle's Plantation and it's not in one of these you know, highly visited tourist site, like, you know, not, not like uh, around New Orleans or something. It's in a little town called St. Francisville, which is kind of out in the middle of nowhere, really. At least it was 10 years ago, and I doubt it's developed that much today. Probably the closest big town is Baton Rouge, I think. I think that's where I flew into. So anyway, um, here's a little background on the place. Myrtle's Plantation has been there since, and I haven't brushed up on this, but I think it was the 1700s. I mean, I'm talking, this was an old world serious plantation. And um, so you have hundreds of years of history there and lots of bad things happened at this place. Um, One of the owners there I believe somebody shot him on his porch in the chest with a shotgun. And they say he turned and he ran inside and started crawling up the steps. And I believe they say he made it to step number 13, not surprisingly, and collapsed there and died. And so now a lot of people who are sensitive to these things, sort of psychically sensitive, say that they cannot... Walk past that step. It's like there's some kind of a psychic force built there. But obviously, a lot of the spookiest activity is associated with the slavery, and uh, you know we all know the misery attached with those periods of history. And at one point, there was a man there. This is fairly well documented who owned a lot of slaves, including a female slave named Chloe. And Chloe was revered among the other slaves because she was able to serve him inside the house. And apparently he had a sexual interest in her as well. I think we all know that was pretty common back in those days among slave owners. And so um, the story goes that at one point, he started taking an interest in uh, in someone else. And Chloe became concerned that that meant that she was going to get kind of kicked to the curb and, uh, you know, how hard the labor was out on those plantation fields. And so, She was very good at nursing people back to health, and they say that she had um, a plan uh, in place. That at one point, you know, he he caught her listening in on some of his private conversations in the bedroom, and so he sliced her ear off. So she knew that you know she was on thin ice, and she concocted a plan to put a little bit of light poison in a cake or something like that that would make him a little sick so that she could come in and nurse him back to health and gain his favors again. That's the story. Anyway, things went awry. However, they say she put too much poison in in one product or another. And then uh, his wife and kids got very ill and some of them even died. She was horrified. He found out what had happened. So he took her outside. He tortured her miserably and then hanged her. And so her ghost, the ghost of Chloe is the one that is most often seen haunting Myrtle's plantation. And uh, in fact, there is a um, a very good photographer um, that I, I've known for a while, Jack Roth, who took a photograph uh, years ago um, of what appears to be the apparition of Chloe standing outside Myrtle's plantation. Uh, and as a matter of fact, if you go to JoshuaPWarren.com and you click the gallery of the strange there at the top menu uh, and click through, you'll find his photograph there. He gave me permission to post that. Um, so anyway, that's you know that gives you a little bit of the backstory on this place. The place has been so haunted that uh, they say people who've lived there over the years have done everything they could to stop the activity uh, the keyholes in the doors are inserted upside down because people used to believe that by putting things upside down that it would um that it would confuse the spirits and then uh, also sometimes they would put uh, curtains over mirrors there because they believe that mirrors were portals interesting that we were talking about that recently um so, anyway, and I could, I could make this a really, really long story, but uh, <laughs> there's no sense in it because I, I have written uh, some articles about this in the past as well, which you can read if you really want all the nitty-gritty details, but just as this is, okay, I arrived by myself at the airport, and again, I'm pretty sure this is Baton Rouge, and boy, it was storming like crazy. I mean, it was just, it was one of the stormiest days I've ever experienced in my life. And I got there the day before the crew was supposed to arrive. And so I got into my rental car and I had to drive myself from the airport, probably something like an hour and a half or more into the swamps and bayous to get to this house in St. Francisville and it was one of the most harrowing drives of my entire life. I almost died on the drive because I could hardly see anything. The sky was so dark. I was really tired. I'd been up all night getting ready for this trip and the rain's just pounding down and I screeched more like slid to a stop. Realizing that I was the very first car out in the middle of nowhere that had come upon a bridge that completely washed away. And if I had not made that stop, then my car would have slipped into the water. And uh, that may have very well have been the end of me uh, because it was already just a rushing flash flood. So I had to wait around to get detour instructions. I didn't have... I mean, the maps weren't doing me much good. Uh, I didn't have any kind of cell phone signal. So I finally got to, um, I got i got in some of these dark back roads where I imagined there must be alligators everywhere. <laughs> when I finally arrived at Myrtle's Plantation on this dark and stormy evening, let me tell you what, it it immediately lived up to its reputation. you you got to see what this place looks like on the Internet. It is a big, foreboding, creepy old plantation house with all of the, the big old trees around it with limbs like twisted skeletal fingers and the moss hanging off like corpse hair. And uh, as soon as I rolled up onto the property... I got out of the car, ironically very relieved to be there uh, after my drive. And the first thing I see is this big roving pack of black cats that inhabit the property. It's like something out of a Stephen King novel or movie. They just have this big group of black cats that run around everywhere. So I got there, walk inside. The only person who is there greeted me was happy i'd finally arrived told me i would be staying in the general david bradford suite the most haunted room there handed me the keys and said have a good night and i said where are you going and they said oh you know you're here on your own tonight and i was at first i thought it was a joke i thought well you know I could go in here and steal everything in this house. You know, i mean, like, why would you leave me, a stranger, alone in there? But they didn't seem to have a problem at all. Uh, I said, you know, sleep tight and, uh, you know, you wanted this, so here you go. And I guess they'd arranged with the production for that to happen. And so uh, next thing you know, here I am alone in this gigantic old plantation house. Now the first thing to be addressed was my hunger. I hadn't eaten in a while. So I went to um I went to grab a little grub at a local joint, nothing special. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm gonna take advantage of this. So I went into the house, went to the David Bradford suite, which is just as spooky as you would imagine. High ceilings, probably 15-foot-tall ceilings. There was a big four-poster bed like Ebenezer Scrooge would sleep in. There was a big painting on the wall with eyes that would follow you. Yeah, the works. So I, um, I proceeded to just walk all around the house by myself, and I chose to do so in the dark. And it was extremely spooky. There were all kinds of unexplainable noises, but you know how that goes in an old house. I'm walking upstairs, downstairs, in and out of rooms, past creepy mirrors. Um, At any moment, you know, something could have been standing there or jumping out at me. I mean, it was was very spooky. I did have my video camera. And I'll tell you, it's kind of odd because sometimes... Because I've spent the night alone in a number of extremely scary places. And um, sometimes when you just pull your your video camera out and you look at the, the room or whatever's around you through the camera screen, it's a bit of solace. It's, it's an illusion, really, but I guess it kind of makes you feel like maybe your audience is with you. <laughs> it's really stupid. But anyway, so I uh, I went into the room... And um, I'm looking at the floor through night shot, and I noticed through night shot that there were things that would uh, little stains that would show up that only looked uh, that I could only see through night shot, meaning they were only visible in the infrared, and they kind of looked like little bloody footprints. So and then I kept hearing these screeching sounds from outside, which I got on video. I presume these were cats. Fighting with each other, but boy, it it sure helps set the mood. So at one point, here I am, dog tired, in this room by myself, with the lights off, with my EMF meter, about uh, close to eleven o'clock at night, and the meter starts giving me some readings, and then all of a sudden I hear boom, boom, boom. So somebody is pounded on the wall. Now, it's raining like hell outside, and so I figure, well, this is bizarre. I guess somebody else has come to the property, so I didn't have a cell phone signal or anything at that point. So, I went outside and opened the door. There was not a soul around, okay? It's pouring the rain. There are no cars. My room was positioned on a corner, so I had two outside walls. And uh, excuse me, it was very easy for me to see whether or not anybody was, was around. And there was nobody. I had a flashlight, of course. So I walked back inside the room. I've got the camera running. Boom, boom, boom. There it is again. I'm like, what the hell? And this time, I could clearly tell it was coming from within the room. So I spoke out loud, and I said, If there is someone here with me, please do that again. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. This is the point at which something called the fight or flight instinct sets in. When you are in a room by yourself on a piece of property like this, in a house like this, in the dark, the only light you have, the light coming from your little camera screen, it's the only solace you've got. I'm telling you, when something like this happens, the first thing that hits you is, I just want to get out of here for a minute and uh, take a breather, reevaluate what's happening. But you know what? I didn't. I was able to overcome that, and you never know if you're going to be able to overcome that, whether or not you're going to be able to do it until you're actually in that situation. So I overcame that. At this point, I'm walking around with my meter. And I keep talking to this thing, and I say, can you do that again over here? Boom, boom, boom. Okay, can you do that again over here? Boom, boom, boom. I'm asking this thing, I'm practically telling it where to knock, and it would knock wherever I asked it to do so. At one point, I held out my meter. The meter goes bonkers, and then it. I, I got this on video. I swear, it's like something jerked this $300 meter out of my hand. He hit the floor, knocked the chip out of it. I, You can watch the video and judge for yourself. Um, and I'm going to tell you how to do that in a minute. But uh, this went on for hours and hours, me interacting with this thing, saying, okay, uh, do that again. Uh, do it here. Do it there. And it would bang on tables, on walls. And it always came in threes. And uh, I even said, okay, can we do like once for yes, twice for no, to try to see if I could communicate specifically. And that wasn't working. And so I'm trying to figure out who I'm talking to, but it was it was kind of a messy affair. It wasn't very clear how this was working, how this was happening. So this goes on for hours, and I get to the point where I'm so darn sleepy. Um, I did place at least one phone call that night. I was able to get a signal out, just a rough one for a little while, and I called my wife and I said, you're not going to believe what's happening to me right now. So she can vouch for that. It got so late, I got so sleepy. I slipped into this big four-poster bed, (laughs) and I'm thinking to myself, oh, Jesus. I just knew this thing was going to finally manifests, and I'm like, if I wake up, and there is a ghost standing here in this room with me, that's it, screw this, I'm out of here, I'm going to go out and sleep in my car the rest of the night. So I lay down in bed, my eyelids are so heavy, and then right there, inches away, on the headboard, boom, 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 it's banging the headboard next to my head. But I was so tired, I fell asleep. I even had the camera running for a little bit as I was dozing off. The last time I remember it waking me up was 8.30 in the morning. It was was banging the headboard, and I woke up and I said, would you please stop? I've got to get some sleep. And I woke up. I would say probably somewhere around noon to one because I heard a regular, normal knock on my door, on my front door, and I went and I opened it, and it was the producer, director, and uh, his cameraman and sound man who had just arrived and uh, said, Hey, you know, how, how, how'd how it go? Do you sleep well? And I said... <laughs> Oh boy. I rolled my eyes. And I was like, you know, if I didn't have all this equipment here that allowed me to detect all these different energy field stuff, I would think that you boys had played some joke on me, but I knew that they hadn't there was no way. I went outside even and looked all around the outside walls. It was nothing but mud. No footprints. There were no trees that could have been banging the wall in the breeze. There was nothing. And let me tell you what, I was looking for any possible explanation. They were thrilled that I had some experience. And so I, I said, look, tonight I'm going to be ready. You know, And I was telling them, here's how we're going to set up. Here's what we're going to do. We have all my instruments out there. I mean, I was ready to rock and roll. And it was just the most peaceful, normal, clear, beautiful, quiet, ordinary night you could ever hope for. So when the big fancy film crew was there, nothing happened when I was ready for it. When I was in that house by myself on a stormy night with a lot of electrical charge flying in the air, that's what I experienced, and I was able to record it at least on my own. And so, aside from some of my footage that they used in the TV special, I put together, I cobbled together my own little footage into maybe about a 7- to 10-minute video, best I recall. It's called Alone in America's Most Haunted Bedroom. And this is, again, I shot the whole thing myself. If at first I turn on the camera when I'm in the car, <laughs> driving off into the storm, and then uh, and then later you get to see what I experienced. So if you've never seen that, um, it's easy to watch. You just go to JoshuaPWarren.com. I t- just told you this a minute ago. Click the gallery of the strange. There's a section called World's Wildest Ghost Photos, and it's in there. It's in there. You can watch the video. You can see Jack's photo. Oh, boy. I don't know who I was interacting with. I don't know what I was interacting with. I don't know if it was Chloe or somebody else. But I have no doubt that that was a conscious, interactive, aware entity. And it's one thing to see a ghost and say, well, this could be a recording from the past. This could be some kind of an imprint. This could be some kind of a weird atmospheric phenomenon that only appears ghostly to my uneducated eye. But when you spend a night like I did, and you are talking to this thing, and it is doing its damnedest to communicate back with you clearly on demand, Talk about a life-altering experience. I wish that everyone could have an experience like that. I really, really do. So uh, maybe you think I'm just a good storyteller. Maybe you think I'm just a guy trying to sell a book or get on TV or sell a ghost tour. Maybe that's what you think I'm doing here. But if you believe that there is any honesty, any integrity, any sincerity in what I tell you and what I'm sharing with you, and you trust in my ability to any degree to separate fact from fiction, reality from bullshit, then whether or not you have experienced such a thing, I hope that you will understand that I am telling you that is the truth that is what happened there is no more normal explanation than the one I have given you and I've looked at all possibilities and so whether or not you have ever experienced such a thing if you believe what I've just told you then let that open your eyes a little bit let that open your mind a little bit about what is out there what is possible and what it's like to truly come into contact with some of these spirits. Okay, well, this has been a pretty lengthy one, I guess, but uh, as you could tell, it was quite a significant experience for me. And, uh, well, I'll leave another one for you soon. Um, Keep in mind, you know, I've been talking about this new sigil wand I'm only going to make that available for about another 24 hours. So if that's something that interests you, when you go to joshuapwarren.com, look to the top right-hand corner, and you'll see a little picture of a wand. It doesn't say anything. It's just a little picture of a wand on the top right-hand corner of the homepage. And if you click that, and there's still some in stock, I'll make it available for the next 24 hours, and it'll ship out to you immediately. Okay, I believe that's it for tonight. Hope you're having fun this October. Thank you for listening. Please tell all your friends if you're enjoying these free podcasts, because if you keep listening, I'll keep doing them. Thank you for staying curious, and I'll talk to you again soon.